Hey folks, just a quick announcement before the show. Jim and I are doing a live event in Walt Disney World in 2017. The dates are November 10th through the 13th, and we'll be putting more information at our travel partners website, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. We plan to spend those couple of days walking through eh, maybe Pandora and telling stories. And that's pretty much how we're going to spend our evenings, too. I think Jim is going to get dressed up as a, a blue alien. I, myself, will be bioluminescent. And we'll be doing it at a bar. <laughs> Visit storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish to join us. And now on with the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. And today is our annual Let's Talk About What's Going in the Unofficial Guide book show. Well, let's welcome Jim Hill to the show. Jim, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Lynn. I've been face down to the research for this for the better part of the week. But yeah, always enjoy doing this. In fact, to be honest, this is kind of where the podcast came from, isn't it? It or? is. This is how the show started. So for our new listeners, let me give you some background. Years ago, when we first asked Jim to write little anecdotes for the unofficial guide book, little tips about why Imagineers made a decision they did for a particular ride or what might be coming up for another ride. Jim and I would get together and we found that the best way to do it was for us to get on the phone for a couple of hours and just walk through the park in our heads and go through Jim's stories that he had for any attractions that we happened to pass by in our little mental walk over the parks. And every year that we did it, I kept thinking to myself, man, we should record this and just play this out for people on the internet because if a small subset of people would love it. Most people would think it's horrifying. I think it's like <laughs> for a variety of reasons. He did use it at Guantanamo for a while to break people. Exactly. So we decided to do this the podcast. So a couple of years ago, we started recording these things and it, it's become a regular tradition. So this year we're recording our anecdotes for the 2018 edition of the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World. There'll be a separate podcast for the Disneyland episode. So, Jim, traditionally, we start in the Magic Kingdom. Would you like yeah, to start in the Magic Kingdom? Yeah, and the idea is that we write these in March. The book gets published in... August? August, okay. So, already, we're kind of behind the eight ball. I spent the week working the phone, so I'd have up-to-date info to hand Len. And at the same time, Len is doing things like, you uh, got the info this week about DVC and AP previews of Avatar. Right. I won't, I won't mention the date, but it's, uh, it's earlier than anticipated. So yeah. I don't feel that bad about not being invited to the press event because the press event will be weeks after everyone has seen it. <laughs> so fair enough. <laughs> but here's the thing, getting on the phone and chatting with the folks who are actually working on Avatar to get a sense of what's this going to be like when it opens. And it's going to be a race to get this open. Is it? Given how early the dates for the annual Passover and DVC thing are, because I'm, I'm being told that just getting this thing up and running for May 27th, the official opening, uh -huh. is going to be a bear. In hindsight, the Imagineers, they deliberately built the Navi River Journey that's the base of the building, and on top of that is the Flights of Passage. You have your two major attractions for Pandora, the World of Avatar, in one giant building, largely because you could then create a building that in itself would be a berm that would, you know, sort of, you know, create right. that, that sort of mountainous terrain that we know from the James Cameron film from 2009. So, oh, so I did 
I didn't know they're all in the same building. Are the entrances going to be on opposite sides or something? For well, for you obviously enter the Navi River Adventure from below. With flights of passage, you actually, for a timer, hiking up the outside of the building. Putting the two show buildings right on top of one another may have worked as a finished visual, but from a construction point of view and an operations point of view, oh, yeah. it's really biting them in the butt. Going forward, if they do march these around the world, and Disney is hoping that once it opens, they can bring their partners from Tokyo and Shanghai and the like here and mm-hmm. you know show them and it's like, hey, what do you think? Do you want this to travel? They're frustrated with some of the choices that Disney publicity is making. So the original date that you and I heard mm-hmm. for the opening of this thing was mid-July. Uh-huh. And then they came out and said, oh, no, we're going to move this to six or seven weeks earlier to coincide with the opening of Volcano Bay in Orlando. Do you think that the press department put some pressure on Imagineering to open this thing sooner in order to compete with Universal? (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up. Volcano Bay is in the exact same situation. In fact, I was talking with a a theme and entertainment professional earlier this week, and he was joking about the, the fact that it's, it is a, a. They are both frantically throwing money at at both of these projects. They've got crews working twenty four seven just mm-hmm. to try to make these May twenty seventh, you know, opening dates. Yeah. I think yeah. it, you know, and it's just sort of like, you know, it's it's mutually assured destruction. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a game if, of chicken, right? <laughs> yeah. If somebody had blinked and go, okay, we're not going to be ready. We need another six weeks. Which remember. And, you know, uh, Universal was actually forced to do a diagonale. They it was running yeah. so far behind schedule, they had to push out its opening six weeks. But as of right now, they're they're not giving an inch. And, and Disney, actually, yeah. the what I'm hearing, Len, is, is more intriguing. It was actually the resort side that went to uh, to actually to to Disney company management and said, look, we are looking for the at the bookings for the summer of 2017. Oh, yeah. They are soft. Yeah. No, I, I so uh, the, I, did I tell you about how, how much availability exists at Cinderella's Royal Table right now? No, no. I, a, cat, a cast member emailed me and said, if you could if you could put this out, it would be great. But mm-hmm. what they said was every breakfast seating for the next 180 days, with very few exceptions, and every prime dinner seating, I'm talking like 630 to 730, had availability 180 days out at Cinderella's Royal Table. And they were like, we're looking to see whether this is a computer problem. We don't know what, you know, but, but if you could tell people that there's tons of availability here, um, you know, we would appreciate it. So no, that that that's the canary in the coal mine right there. Uh-huh. I mean, that that is the most impossible seating. And what next to to be our guest? Yeah, um, be our guest is impossible. But uh, yeah. but yeah, but but Cinderella's royal table is up there. I mean, there were days when. You know, there there were times when Disney used to make people on the Pacific Coast wake mm. up at 4 a.m. Yeah. To yeah. make those reservations. And now they're telling people, you want to come in? You want to meet Cinderella? Cinderella will cook for you. How do you like your eggs? We'll tell Cinderella how to make the eggs. <laughs> well, so you, yeah. th- so you think it was resorts that... Uh, oh, that yeah. No, that, uh, I, I'm definitely hearing it was resorts. They were the ones who were like, please, please, if, the, you, if you can open this six weeks early... 
you know, just the fact that we can then start moving that much more inventory for the right. summer. In fact, yeah, that, yeah, because yeah. mid-July, everyone's half, half the country's already taken their, their vacations by mid-July, no. three quarters of the country. Yeah. In fact, supposedly this factored into the decision to open Rose of Light in February. I don't yeah. care if it's ready. It has to open. Yeah, because they can't have that many moving parts opening at the same time. Getting back to Len and I working on the guide together, one of the stories I chased for the upcoming guide is the Rivers of Light replacement. <laughs> Len, it's a thing, all right? It's like your mother-in-law at your wedding reception saying, well, the next time you do this, (laughs) I'd like the groom to be taller. (laughs) I have been flat out told that the current plan is that Rivers of Light will run through the summer of 2020. It will then go down. Push now is for a brand new Disney character-driven show. I'm told that the folks who work in entertainment for the Walt Disney World Resort are talking with John Favreau. <sighs> He's prepping his Lion King reboot, which is supposed to be released to theaters in 2019. This brand new version of Rivers of Light featuring Disney characters is mm-hmm. supposed to debut at Animal Kingdom in 2021. 50th anniversary celebration, property-wide. Jim, it's interesting that you mention the Disney characters because I, before we started recording the show, I went back and I looked at the feedback, the mm-hmm. uh, unofficial guide reader rankings and the Touring Plans user rankings for Rivers of Light. And it's, it's actually not bad. The average rating is somewhere around a four. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would make it the lowest rated of the Disney Spectaculars, but not by a wide margin. But the thing that's bringing it down, Jim, Mm-hmm. is the preschool and young children demographics. They rate it lower, Rivers of Light, than any other Disney nighttime spectacular. Do you think that they're bringing in characters because they've already seen that feedback as well? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. To be able to say, hey, there's a new show in this wonderful facility they built and with you know all of that, you know, uh, the elements that are already in place and it has characters that will get them to come back because otherwise this is a one and done just to sort of explain the way len and i work with these uh, typically we the, the stories that we, we do the disney dish things for the unofficial guide break down around four categories there's behind the scenes info uh, what's coming mm-hmm. up next then then there's history but it's looking for history that people haven't talked about before and i i just in getting ready for the 2018 guide came across this amazing story linda you know how tinkerbell flies in the magic kingdom she's harnessed to a wire that goes from the castle to over by mm. it was the tomorrowland terrace okay care to guess when she made her debut in the park uh oh it's a 1972 1985. That late? She made her debut on July 3rd, 1985. They had the Matterhorn for her to jump off of. <laughs> Again, I, I just, I love the idea of it. the first time a Disney cast member, you know, they, they, they put her in a harness, mm-hmm. they, they bring her to the top of the Matterhorn, and there are probably three people up there saying, okay, jump. <laughs> and she does. It kills me. <laughs> Initially, I guess the concern was, well, is it high enough? What held it up for so many years was humidity. It turns oh. out that yeah. the because of the angle of the wire, when she starts to get over the that moat circles the hub, she really starts to lose energy. And the line has to have a certain amount of slack in it. And what they found when they, they did the tests on it was mm-hmm. that she would actually run out of power at that point. 
they have this amazing procedure in place where basically she's in a spotlight right up until she gets over the, the moat. And then they turn off the spotlight because evidently it's three out of every time, ten times they run. She stalls. Oh, right. really? See, she's now dangling about 10 feet away from the roof of Tomorrowland Terrace. So what they do is that T- Tink actually has tucked behind her wings. It's basically, it's a piece of, it's a 20 foot long piece of rope and a stick. And so they turn off the light and, and Tink then reaches between her shoulder blades, between the wings, grabs this length of rope and throws it to an employee on the roof of Tomorrowland Terrors and they then haul her in. That is the worst job description, Jim, I think I've ever heard. <laughs> you, you have to rescue yourself. <laughs> so speaking of crazy performances, Jim, let me just take a, a quick interjection here to say you called the closing of Cirque last week, by the way, and today they, uh, or yesterday they announced uh, its final show. Actually, it was the, the exact same language that you said that they would use, too. That's that's pretty remarkable. Uh, yes, it's wonderful when you get it right. It, it's on, on the other hand, I have been calling the closure of Disney Quest since 2008. And, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, we have we, to acknowledge we, that. We all have, Jim. Yeah, we all have. <laughs> and the very same people who told me about Lanuba are the people who told me about Disney Quest closing. Any day now, yeah. Yeah, but, but in the case of Disney Quest, that project literally got shut down because of uh, the financial correction. This one, the, this very next entry, which I, I want to put in the book, but I have to warn you, that mm-hmm. this is a 50-50 roll of the dice that this will actually go in this year. Okay, uh, good. It's a new show scene for Jingle Cruise. Really? Okay, so this is a Jungle Cruise at the Magic Kingdom every year after Thanksgiving. They turn it into a holiday-themed mm-hmm. Jingle Cruise with and- appropriate jokes. It's Last year's script was excellent, by the way. They uh, It was the second year that they did it mm-hmm. at the Magic Kingdom. It was hysterical. Way better than the first year. Well, yeah, and, and remember, they, they, this is also the year where the, the, the gorillas in the trash in the camp scene got ugly Christmas sweaters, and we got mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, a Santa beard on Trader Sam. So, so the notion mm-hmm. is, okay, year three, we're also going to add a big scene. And, and I love this scene, the scene that they've written. It's the sacred elephant bathing pool land. Okay. Okay. Only right. The gimmick is the boat comes around the corner and here are all of the elephants with woolen caps on holding giant ice skates and hockey sticks. And the idea is they're ready. When the temperature drops, you know, and this freezes over, they're immediately getting on the ice and playing hockey. You know, everyone agrees it's wonderful, but it's just sort of like, all right, do we have the budget for this this year? It's still a considerable investment. Plus, you have to get a television that works in the humidity of the Jungle Cruise in all kinds of temperatures. Yeah, that, that, that's, where it gets, that, that's yeah. where it gets pricey. Okay. We don't know if it's going to happen this year. So that then, I mean, this is where Len and I, you know, chat back and forth. It's like, do we, do we roll the dice? Do we, we put this in? I mean, we are yeah, the people can... who kept talking about Lone Ranger coming into, to Big Thunder Mountain. You know, just it's, sort of... it's true, it's true. Speaking of things that, that we've talked about that haven't yet happened, there was word last year that mm-hmm. when Stitch's Great Escape went to seasonal operations, so it's basically not open all the time, that a Wreck-It Ralph-themed attraction was going to go in there. Now I've heard nothing about anything going in Tomorrowland. Is that something that they're going to just save now for the 50th anniversary? 
do they think that Tomorrowland doesn't need it now or the Magic Kingdom doesn't need the attention? What's, what's going on over in Tomorrowland? Well, uh, that there's actually an other issue here. You have to remember that somebody actually has to prep the footage for this Wreck-It Ralph attraction. And right now, uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2 is mm-hmm. in production at Walt Disney Animation Studios. In fact, Rich mm-hmm. Moore, who just this past weekend, uh, along with Byron Howard, won an Academy Award for his work in Zootopia, is right in the middle of getting Wreck-It Ralph 2 out the door, which the gimmick now is that Ralph and Vanellope actually end up out on the internet. So yeah, that this is starting this project, which everyone's excited about because of you know, the racing idea, especially, you have to understand that the gun that's being held at Disney's head right now is Nintendo Land over at Universal. Right. Okay. And the, the there are patents out there that for the Universal Mario Kart ride where they, they, they are going to allow you to drift <sighs> in this attraction. And so the ticking clock in Disney's mind is, look, the first racing game through the door is going to be the one that's talked up. And in fact, yeah. that's the real concern right now that, that clearly Universal is piling up. You're going to physically race in that attraction. This isn't you sitting down, you know, in a cart that you're then moving to a screen. You're going to move through a physical space. And again, your, your ride vehicle is actually going to drift around corners and all that. And that's the worry in-house at Disney right now, that because obviously... Here's the team for Wreck-It Ralph 2 concentrating on that, and mm-hmm. they'll then be able to pivot at some point and work on that ride film. But it's like, are we going to, you know, God help us, are we going to get to the market late? Are we going to be the second racing game? Yeah. Um, and that's, a, that's a concern because uh, young, young kids will, will love Mario Kart. Hannah, when she was growing up, loved Mario Kart. I, I can imagine her wanting to uh, to play it and it's still available on the ds and you know they can do so many pushes with that in on so many different platforms now you know, speaking of gaming we, platforms we should talk about the timeline here okay disney is hearing from folks at universal creative is that nintendo land will open in orlando in 2020. Oh, just ahead of Disney's uh, 50th anniversary? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's deliberate. People who are down for Walt Disney World for the 50th anniversary will spend a day at Universal to check out Nintendo Land. Oh, I'm sure they would do that. The interesting thing about the timing is it's the year between the Star Wars opening, which is 2019, and the 50th anniversary in uh, 2021. So that's the one year that, that Universal has basically to themselves. I'm assuming that when Bob Iger says that Star Wars Land is going to open in 2018, he means December 31st. It's going to be a New Year's Eve debut. It's There is so much money. There is so much effort being thrown behind that. I mean, yes, they want that open as soon as possible. In fact, we will undoubtedly learn more. Disney's annual meeting uh, is happening in the next week or so. But that they're going to continue that drumbeat. So often, the entries we write for, Glenn and I work on together for the guide, focus on the parks. Yeah. But there is a big change coming to Walt Disney World that, frankly, isn't, ha- well, is affected by what's going on in the park. I mean, for example, watching, you know, we talked about the, the construction project that's going on at the Coronado. The two projects are this. At Caribbean Beach, they are building a DVC Resort, multi-story, like 10 to 13, maybe 15 stories tall, with apparently a restaurant at the top and a view of Epcot Illuminations. Over at 
Coronado, they are expanding on a luxury side of the resort. The idea, Jim, that you reported was was this, that Coronado's moderate stylings for their resort is fine for people who want to go to a convention. But if you ever want to bring in your executive team, your CEO, uh, or your C-suite executives, a moderate resort isn't really what they're used to staying in. Therefore, Disney needs uh, more plush accommodations at Coronado Springs. And the thing that's going to tie all of this together, the interesting thing from my perspective, was the gondola system mm-hmm. of transportation to get people from those resorts over to uh, Epcot and the studios, right? And to add another piece of the puzzle here, I was, was told this week the center of gravity, particularly for folks who are coming to a resort to attend conventions, changes with mm-hmm. the uh, with the 2017 opening of Avatar and the 2020 opening of Star Wars Land, mm-hmm. that it's that they literally just sat there when they were, were thinking of the future, and that, that if people were coming to attend a convention, they're mm-hmm. going to want in their off time to get to see the newest, biggest at Disney, and right. that literally put them at the Coronado. The Coronado is is very centrally located between those two, right? That's it exactly. So it's, it was one of these things where it's like, okay, this is where we do the big roll of the dice. Evidently, starting in 2018, you were going to watch the language that Disney uses to describe its resorts, you know, value, moderate, and deluxe. That all goes away, Lynn. I was expecting that. The things that we're seeing at Caribbean Beach, also at Wilderness Lodge, really, where they've got multiple different levels of DVC, resorts within resorts, and then the the, thing, the concept of a, of a value resort, a moderate resort, and a deluxe resort is, is going to be blurred, if not go away okay. outright, right? Yeah. What's weird is that every conversation I have with anybody about Walt Disney World invariably pivots to the 50th anniversary. And the belief is that that year, you know, mm-hmm. with the marketing campaign they have lined up, which evidently is going to tug the heartstrings of everybody on the planet, mm-hmm. um, they believe that they're going to sell out every single hotel room and campsite on property for the, the entire year. Every hotel room, every night of the year. I can make my reservations now. Well, no, that, that, that's it. You know, between every, you know, it, 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 every theme park will feature a brand new ET ticket equivalent attraction, will mm-hmm. feature a new nighttime parade. And again, this is where it gets problematic, Lynn. For example, we haven't talked yet at all about Epcot, and one of the conversations I had the uh, you know early this week was with somebody about the new World Showcase Pavilion that is supposedly chugging along. It's Spain. We've we've talked about Spain for what seven eight years ever since they did a really good food and wine festival booth. I'm I'm all for Spain. Do you know what's powering the Spain Pavilion? Uh, paella, olives. It's food. It's got to be food and wine, right? It's got to be the uh, it's got to be the food component of it. Nope, it's gigantic. Oh, the film. That's right. Gigantic is Disney's brand new version of Jack and the Beanstalk, which opens in theaters in 2018. And it's a Disney princess movie. The difference is this princess is going to be 100 feet tall. And Disney feels they have another hit fairy tale film on their hands. And it's set in Spain. Mm -hmm. And we've seen what happened with Frozen. The other thing, too, is it's Western Europe. So Mm -hmm. 
people will be fairly comfortable with it from a uh, culture perspective. The mm -hmm. food is super familiar. They've got tons of tie-ins for um, for restaurants and for merchandising. It's a popular country for soccer. They've got tie-ins for that. There's again for, from the Venn diagram overlap. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to like there. Oh, absolutely. But they've prepped a look and layout for the, the pavilion. They've prepped where the ride is going to go. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that the test screenings to date, they've been doing a lot of work on it. And, for the know, film? For the film. Change for the film, okay. And it is kind of significant that back in October of last year, it was announced that Meg LaFauve, who worked in Inside Out, uh, was joining Reno as a co-director. They are chugging toward a November 21st, 2018 theatrical release. And the hope is that they typically do work in progress screenings of these things every three to four months or so. Mm -hmm. And what Imagineering is hoping is the very next screening uh, will be the one where they lock the story and that they can then get serious about designing the attraction. And then evidently there have been Spanish sponsors lined up or better part of a decade, Len, who would be happy to step in and, and sponsor really? this thing. Are there any plans to update Future World? Because I know we've heard stories about or rumors about a Universe of Energy getting a Guardians of the Galaxy overlay. We've heard even more substantial construction projects like completely redoing Future World into some sort of green space with lots more landscaping and trees. Maybe the mausoleum things, the uh, Leave a Legacy tiles going away. Have you heard anything about any of that? What seems to have a lot of momentum right now is mm -hmm. a, a redo of Test Track yet again, keying <laughs> off of really? the, the storyline of Cars 3. There's a character that's being introduced in this, this upcoming film, which, which will be out in June of this year. His name is Jackson Storm. And Jackson uh, actually forces uh, Lightning McQueen out of the spotlight because he's the, the, the new young up-and-comer. And he actually mm -hmm. makes use of a lot of the sort of stuff that's showcased in Test Track, a lot of the, the technology to make you go faster. And this idea, it looks like it may be the first character-driven thing that may appear in World Showcase. And in fact, that there's... Depending on how well Cars 3 does this summer, it may actually leapfrog the Guardians thing, which is, by the way, very seriously being considered for, for <sighs> the universe of energy space. Doesn't make, um, doesn't make any sense in Epcot. I, I know, I know, but it just that's... The hard reality here is that when they do the survey work, the only reason that Spain has gone from an if to a when is gigantic. They know that this this is a film set in Spain and it's a fairy tale film and it's you know, it's the frozen people, it's the tangled people, it's sure to be popular. So Yeah. I think bringing characters into future world is uh, uh is a bad idea. Number one, it, it just shows that they don't that there's uh there's a lack of uh, a vision or a lack of the ability to sustain the vision of future world and, and really I think that comes down to uh to money that they're going with the safe bet. I mean, they've got three other parks in which they could introduce characters and be absolutely fine with it. Two years ago, when Disney was floating the idea, when they were looking for a, a new festival to do at Epcot, they, they were talking about you know, a science-based program. They, for the first time ever, they were going to do yeah. sort of a celebration of inventors, and that was going to be held in Future World, and they were going to shoot yep. a season of BattleBots there. 
Uh, you know, there were all these plans in place. And in the end, what did they do? They That idea got put aside and we got the Festival of Arts, which they defaulted to what was safe. They went with a, a thing that was based around World Showcase Lagoon that had a food component that had, you know, something in yeah. America Gardens. They just weren't willing to, to, to step away from a successful formula. And that tells you the, the the Disney is still struggling with what to do with future world I think I think that illustrates uh, part of the problem not enough people willing mm-hmm. to take risks yeah. and it, it's true of every large corporation they get to a point where they're entrenched and they just look for the safe and criminal things rather than making the uh, the occasional big big bet and that's how uh, big companies fail yeah, over time I know, I know. enough uh, enough of uh, saying that all right so anything else going on at Epcot Let's turn the attention back to 2018. Uh, Christmas Day 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, Mary Poppins Returns opens in theaters. In fact, just yesterday, Disney released its first look at uh, Emily Blunt in the the, the new Mary Poppins garb. Of course, she shot from behind, so it's it's sort of like, okay, so her, her cheekbone looks kind of like Julie Andrews. But yeah, yeah that, that's, you know, remember, just around the corner from where this gondola system is going to land is the UK pavilion. And Disney is hoping that Mary right. Poppins Returns hits big because evidently there's, there's some talk of taking that little English garden section toward the back of the park right. and, and creating a space there that's basically a celebration of Mary Poppins Returns, where there would be Topsy Turvy, the character that, that Meryl Streep will be playing in the show, that, or the balloon lady that Angela Lansbury will be playing in this film. So starting in uh, sort of Thanksgiving of 2018, you can anticipate that that poop pavilion will have a very large Mary Poppins Returns uh, program going on. And uh, depending on how successful the film is, we could see that turn into one of those temporary shows that never, ever goes away, Lynn. That's Epcot. Is there anything uh, that we need to wrap up at the um, At some point, really do need to talk about what's going on in Tomorrowland. We've already talked about the Wreck-It Ralph thing. You know, that's supposed to power... Um, you know, the, the change out of that land that, um, you know, that in fact, the, the sort of whole repositioning of, of Tomorrowland being, you know, the, it, a portal to new, to different worlds, you know, with the notion of, you know, you, you go through the Wreck-It Ralph portal and you get to enter the video game world or... Oh, okay. That's a, that's a coherent theme. Okay. I could see and, that. But, you know, the, the interesting part of that idea is that brings us back to Tron 3 and the, the rumors that have been circulating about Autopia possibly being shut down. We've, we've said this for 20 years, over 10 years, Jim, as long as we've known each other. So the next Disney the film will, will definitely be the overlay well, for but, Autopia. But here's the thing. Now we have the Tron coaster uh, that was created for Shanghai Disneyland. It's considered one of the huge successes mm-hmm. of that park. Uh, it looks spectacular mm-hmm. at night, and it's deliberately designed to race over the terrain. You know, literally, it steps out around the land and wanders around. And it's kind of sad to think that we finally hit upon the thing that would possibly kill Autopia. But again, remember, Disney's only going to get behind that if, A, this Jared Leto reboot of, of Tron goes forward. And mm-hmm. and then it has to be successful. And if if they're just now talking with Jared Leto about starring in this thing, oh yeah, you're years away. That's what I mean. So my understanding is Disney. That's what they want to have up and running 
for the 50th anniversary. They want the Tron coaster to be, it's a spectacular visual. And to show that, this is why you have to come back to, to Walt Disney World. We have brought the very best of our attractions from around the world to Orlando. I guess that's a great place to end, is that the 50th anniversary e-ticket for the Magic Kingdom, and if you go, hey, if you're going to go out on a limb, go all the way out. It's supposed to be the Tron coaster from Shanghai that will be tied to this Jared Leto movie. So, there you go. That sounds good. All right, so uh, we'll talk about Disneyland in the next episode? That'll work for me. Fantastic. Thanks for the insight, Jim. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Please go into iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.